Welcome to Chronically Driven, a podcast about being in the driver's seat when it comes to health and well-being, mind, body, and soul. I believe that we are all meant to lead a thriving, empowered life, and that it can look as unique and different as you want it to. If you have ever wanted to reinvent your life, have a healthier outlook, healthier habits, and feel better more often, but have felt it's not within your reach, This podcast is here to help break through those limiting beliefs and help you reach for your very best self. I'm Sandra Sova, and in the past seven years, I have gone from having a completely sedentary lifestyle with a slew of unhealthy habits and coping mechanisms to get me through the day to someone that is healthier and stronger than I have ever been, both physically and emotionally. Having a chronic condition and going through four years of cancer treatment and recovery turned out to be two of the biggest gifts I have ever received. It was the turning point for taking back control of my health, wellness, and well-being. My guests and I have got so much to share with you, and I'm so glad you're here. At its core, this is a health and wellness podcast, but it's also so much more than that. Now let's climb into the driver's seat and reach for our very best life. This is Chronically Driven. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Arthritis Wellness Conversation. Each month, I'm joined by a research scientist from Arthritis Research Canada and members of the Arthritis Patient Advisory Board. Today, we are going to be taking a look at the challenges and opportunities in our communities, workplaces, and more to better accommodate those that are living with arthritis. On the panel today is Arthritis Research Canada's Scientific Director, Dr. Deanne Lakai, and as always, members of the Arthritis Patient Advisory Board. Welcome everyone. Thank you for taking the time to be here today. I really appreciate it. Finding ways to improve the lives for people living with arthritis is an important part of what Arthritis Research Canada does. Dr. Lakai, I've heard that one of the goals is to empower patients to be actively involved in their care and their treatment decisions. Patients know their disease the best. Patients know their needs the best. So when we empower patients and give them the tool and the knowledge so that they can be the ones finding the solution that's when we have, can have the solutions that best meet people's needs. So there's tremendous value in increasing evidence showing that the more empowered people are, the more knowledgeable they are, the more involved they are in their care, the better the health outcome. We all do a better job when the patient is at the center of everything that we do. We're going to start out by talking to the panel. What are some of the challenges that you as a person living with arthritis face when you're in the community. I'm just gonna open up the floor. Please, Please jump in and share some of your views. I'll start with transportation because that's the one thing that I've kind of had to cut out as much as I live near a train station. I initially, after my diagnosis, would would take the train to go downtown. It just became such a challenge because of pacing myself, because when I got downtown, I needed to walk a couple of blocks. And then after whatever appointment I had, so I needed to save my energy for that. If I didn't 
have a seat on the train that was more energy expended that I just, that put me over the edge. So having, having, not being able to stand on transit and also with bad balance is one of the reasons I've had to stop doing that. Staying with the transportation thing, I was diagnosed in my 30s. So, you know, there's some days I had good days and I could stand on transportation on SkyTrain and stuff, but there's days that I needed to sit and sometimes there wasn't a lot of seats available. And if I sat in the seat that was marked for people with disabilities, I got dirty looks, I got rude comments, and I actually thought it was easier just to stand in pain and discomfort than to deal with people's impression of me using that chair because arthritis for some people is an invisible disease and I find people are judgmental and they don't think about what other people are going through. Uh, They just see somebody younger in a chair that's marked for people with disability. I wasn't with a cane at that time so I found that was the hardest is people's perceptions and their judgments of me trying to take care of myself I, that's exactly what I experience now. So I take the bus every morning to work and I take a, I take a longer route. I plan for 15 minutes extra so I can take the bus from where it starts downtown so that I can get, I'm guaranteed a seat. And it's frustrating because once I sat, I always, and I get off on the second stop once I'm downtown. So when the bus is always packed, so I try and like move. And so I'll sit close to the door. And this one woman, I still remember I came and I was, I was very upset after because she came and she just stood right in front of me. And she's like, I need to sit. And I didn't know what to do. I'm not comfortable saying, I'm sorry. Like I'm just not feeling well, or I can't stand or whatever. And so I moved. And then I stood for the next 15 minutes struggling to balance and in pain because I didn't know how to deal with that. And so that's still my biggest struggle, definitely when taking transit. I think many of us have experienced that sort of stigma or judgment. One of the things that I like about these arthritis wellness conversations is it's it's an opportunity for us to help to educate and to let people know and to be a little bit more, more visible about that. Has anyone had any positive experiences when out on public transit, for example? Uh, Yes, I think it helps to have gray hair and you always (laughs) get a seat. (laughs) And yes, I think that comes with your pain level uh, to ask for a seat. What about things other than transit? Well, one thing I noticed was there are not handrails in all the movie theaters. And so that makes it difficult going upstairs. It also makes it, in my mind, very dangerous and difficult going downstairs. Has that ever made you decide not to go out to the theater because of that? No, but I have, you know, inadvertently uh, put my hand on somebody's head or the back of their seat as I'm walking down. Well, now that theaters allow you to book uh, seats, uh, um, what I've done is I've always booked an aisle and I've always booked close to the main ramp area that I don't have to go upstairs. City planners and community planners are more cognizant of making things more accessible for people. So anything that's done with that in the communities generally helps for people with any sort of mobility or disability or differently abled. What are some of the, some of the things that can help? I do have a, a sit-stand desk at work and it was really good because the workplace I work at, they actually sent in an OT who's um, through their work safe and ergonomics. And so they assessed my workstation. I got a new chair 
plus they also did a sit stand and it's great because on my computer I mark now a time and so every hour the bell rings and it means that I need to stand or sit I need to change my positioning so I don't have that joint stiffness and those problems of sitting too long. They also modified the height of my screen and the size of my screen to make it easier for me. So there was quite a few things that I had accessible to me through work and I'm not sure if all workplaces have that but um, I was very lucky to have that. I had uh, really positive experiences with a sit-stand desk at work as well. I think um, in contrast to, it sounds like your, many of your experiences, I am almost more uncomfortable when I'm sitting down uh, for long periods of time. That's kind of the way that the disease manifests in my body. I would always rather be standing and be able to move around a little bit. Given that my balance is okay right now, that's fine to be on public transit and standing. But it means that if I'm, when I was at university sitting in a lecture hall for three hours at a time in a tiny little desk, that got really uncomfortable and was therefore distracting from my studies. But now I'm fortunate enough to work in a place where everybody in our office has a, a sit-stand desk and it's totally changed the way I work. And it's really nice, like kind of later in the afternoon when you can feel it in your body that you've been sitting for a while to be able to raise that up and kind of, you know, get some blood moving through your body again. Mm -hmm. I haven't gone the route of the sit-stand desk yet. Uh, they do have them available at my work, but I find that the ones that they do have available, if I'm like at its lowest, is kind of where it would be a good height ergonomically for me to stand because I'm only 5'1". And so there's no like real, like I can't, then I can't go any lower. So uh, what I will do though is that because we're like pretty flexible and it's an open floor plan, then if I do feel like I need to stand, like I'll go upstairs and work on an, work on like, the island kind of desktop or like an encounter and I think that that's it's a it's you don't get any looks or questions about it no one no one asks and it's just for me it's a bit more manageable. Dr. Lakai I know that one of your passion projects has been the making it work program and we've been talking about things in the workplace thinking along the lines of having individuals have these things whether it be a stand-up sit-down desk or a more ergonomic keyboard these sorts of things can be beneficial because arthritis is one of the leading, leading causes of workplace disability. Yes, that's right. So arthritis and problems of the joints and the bones is the most common cause why people have to stop working. And studies have clearly shown that people who do get ergonomic modifications have, it lowers their risk of having to stop working. And patients often talk about the benefits of a more ergonomically set up working station. It's uh, really important for people to know how can they access this because often people know they need something, they know it's not quite right, but they don't necessarily know, well, what would help me and, and how can this be better set up? So it's important for people to know how can they access uh, that type of service. So some workplaces will have uh, a team of ergonomists that will come and assess your workstation. So, you know, you the first place to try to access it is through your workplace, either through the, uh, either your benefit plan or the workplace itself. But that's not always possible because some workplaces are not big enough to offer this kind of service. And if you haven't told your workplace that you have arthritis, you know, you, you may, you can access it through your benefit plan because the benefit plan is usually confidential, so your employer won't know, but it can be a little bit tricky. The healthcare professional that can also help you with that is an occupational therapist. 
So occupational therapists are the, the health professional that people usually see for help with activities of daily living, like splints and things like that, or orthotics. But they are also trained to assess your work and your workstation and to make some recommendations. And one of the advantage of having an ergonomic assessment by an occupational therapist is that they have a better understanding of arthritis. So the solutions that are good for your regular worker may be different than the solutions that are good for a person with arthritis. So they have a better understanding of the disease. So they are, are very good for making suggestions. But there's also other types of job accommodations that really benefit people around the way that the work is organized. So it might be things like changing the hours of your work so that you're not commuting in peak traffic times or you're not spending an hour on the transit and arriving absolutely exhausted at work. You know, maybe you can shift your hours so that you, you're, you're not commuting during peak time. You, know, you can change the way your job is organized so that you don't have your demanding tasks all like that pacing concept that Shannon was talking about so that you can break down your tasks that are more demanding in little bits at a time or there may be some uh, retraining that you can do so that you can take on new tasks so they're not the ones you were doing before and, and that are giving you difficulty in giving those up. So other health professional that can be helpful in trying to assess your work is a vocational counselor. So again, a vocational counselor can be accessible through a benefit plan. It can also be uh, accessible in some areas through uh, a healthcare team, but they are a little bit more limited and social workers can also help. So there are people who can uh, help you look at your work and try to figure out what adaptations that you can do on your own or job accommodations that you would need to request from your supervisor would facilitate you doing your work and um, you know, would, would make it better adapted to your abilities so that you can really be at your best at work. Janet, I think it was you that mentioned that sometimes it's small little tweaks and changes. Yeah, it's the little things, mm -hmm. you know, in life and in disease that sometimes make the biggest differences. I mean, just simply having a chair that you can adjust, you know, can make a massive difference. Yeah, it's interesting. It's what we found in that making it work study that we were talking about. Often there's a lot of little things that can make a big difference. And often the, the changes people make are, are, are not all the big expensive ones. People were talking about grocery shopping. Now with some of the COVID situations, are they easier to navigate for you with arthritis or are you still finding some challenge, more challenges? I found when the beginning, when they implemented the rules of like the eight to nine shopping for like the at-risk population, that I found it wasn't worth it for me because like they basically, I tried to go in once and they're like, you need your medication to prove that you're immunocompromised. And it's like, okay, that seems a bit odd, but and then I, so I brought it and then I went in and I just felt like I was, it was like quite hostile. Like I was getting looks from both like staff and other people shopping. And I was like, okay, like, what do you want? Like I proved that I can be in here, but so I just actually abandoned and started going later after with the regular hours. Cause I just felt it was way more pleasant for me. I, th I think uh, another problem with those early hours was, is that, you know, for people with arthritis often early morning, which is when the, these hours tended to be is our worst time of the day. So agreed um, for many people <laughs> like us, like it doesn't make sense to get up early and try to do potentially your most demanding physical task of the day, just to have a little bit more health security. You're better off waiting until your body feels better later in the day to do that kind of task. 
I think each person's different because um, for me, I've always found morning was more productive for me and less stressful for me. So I, my fatigue is later in the day, so I don't book as many social things or other activities later in the day. So if I need to do things, and even my work, they were accommodating. Instead of doing a nine to five, I do seven to three because I am able to function and be more productive earlier in the day than I am later. But some days it's better than others, you know, and each day is a little different. And some days I don't pa get past noon that I can function. So I think it's being flexible with your, your employers, flexible. And now with COVID, it's actually nice because I'm working remotely. So I can actually pace myself and work two hours at a time, take a break, then work two hours at a time, take a break. So I found that actually for me has been a benefit of working remotely. Because I'm a morning person, I can even start work at six if I want to, and then I'm done even earlier, so. Flexibility is a key, a key concept that we often hear from patients and, and from in research on employment that uh, the flexibility is what allows patients to plan their day around their disease and uh, to be able, so it, it, it is a concept that I think, thankfully, I think, society and the workplace is moving more towards flexibility than it used to be for a number of reasons. Different, different workers have different needs. So a worker with arthritis, it might be to accommodate their arthritis. For other workers, it may be other things. So other people might be to take care of an elderly, whatever. There's a variety of reasons why people have different needs. And I think we are seeing a bit of a change in our society and in the workplace attitude towards recognizing the win-win of flexibility because then it, if you can do your job better, your employer wins to get, they get more out of you. And uh, if you can do things planning with your arthritis in mind, then your well-being is better, your arthritis is better, and your work is better. So everybody wins. Mm -hmm. What is the hardest thing that you find being someone living with arthritis for me, it is standing in place. What are some of your challenges? What are some of the things that you experience? And standing uh, for long periods of time, just like you. So COVID has really put the kibosh on a lot of things that I would normally do. That, that there's, I'll drive there to a place and there's too much of a lineup and I know I'll, I can't do it. Well, for me, recently I had to uh, renew my driver's license and I didn't realize that they're doing now online booking for appointments. So I went and stood in line and the, they had a whole bunch of signs along the wall and around the building saying it'd be 45 minutes from that spot. So I thought, oh, okay, I could do 45 minutes. Well, an hour and a half later, I'm still standing about two feet forward than I was. And I thought, oh, I can't do this much longer. And I ended up having to give up. And then I found out that you could book appointments. So I went and booked appointment. I walked in, did it, and I was gone. But when the sign said 45, in my head, I thought I could do this. But then I struggled for the next day afterwards because that really did me in. If you can book and, and, and do things online, that's a big advantage. Yes, and shopping online, you know, yeah. doing instead of physically going or I have found some opportunities where I've been able to have them hold something for me at the front as opposed to waiting in line and going in the store and wandering around if it's a large store is having whatever I needed just at the front. So I think a lot of places uh, will accommodate that, but people don't ask. Well, I like the sidewalk pickup or the 
know, drive-by yes. um, things, and they offer those at most places, and I've been taking them up on those, um, so I don't have to park, I don't have to do anything, I just drive up front, it's a five, ten minute waiting zone, or Loading yeah, the home. curbside pickup. Yeah. yeah, and I find that's really helpful. Telehealth appointments is one that we've talked mm -hmm. about before as well. That's something from a patient perspective that is, if you, we don't have to go through transit or go through travel or wait in those waiting rooms and things like that. So, do you see that as something, Dr. Lakai, that would be sticking around? Healthcare being provided from that platform. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, even before COVID, we were already talking about how is technology transforming and how can how we provide care and how can we better harness technology and how we provide care. And I think uh, COVID has given us the nudge because we we've had to all kind of fully transition. I think I think it'll change how uh, uh, definitely even post COVID. I don't think we're going to continue to give care the same way that we did before. I'm not sure that you know it's like anything else in life. Like it doesn't. It's not a total either or. It's some kind of a middle ground. I mean, and, and it does depend on the kind specialty care that you provide. But I think that we'll have probably a lot more blended models and a lot a lot more combination of the two. Uh, there are certain follow-ups that can be done virtually. I personally much prefer a virtual appointment where I can see the patient than a phone call because there's just that, that, that connection that, that's easier to make and there's all the nonverbal communication. But as a rheumatologist, I, I do need to examine people's joints. So it's, it can't all be virtually. There's times where I, I need to be able to see the people in person so that I can examine their joints so that we can make some decisions that are the that where the physical exam is important. So I think the biggest thing we miss uh, with the virtual appointment is is the physical exam. So, but I, I definitely do think that we're going to change. Some of this is, is going to stay afterwards. And there's much better companies that are providing much better service to do this virtually than there used to be. So it's it's forcing everyone to advance. You mentioned technology, and I think that technology is going to play such an important role and how that in turn aids with the research that's being done. Definitely. I think the biggest advances we're going to see in the next 10 years, one of them is around uh, how, you know, the, using technology in a smart way that kind of helps us inform and have a better global picture and using all the available sources of data that are now available to you, but we, we still have to learn how to use them and how to do this in a way that is efficient and in a way that benefits the patient. But I, I think in, in, in 10 years, it's all going to look very different. I can't wait. <laughs> so th does anyone have anything on their, on their wish list for places they go where it's just like, it, my life would be so much easier or more comfortable if only? They had more seating on the street in Vegas. <laughs> more seating. Okay. So what, like not there's just, nowhere, not just Vegas. If, anybody who's ever been to Vegas, not that we can go, but there's nowhere to sit. There's nowhere to sit. It's like one of the worst places to navigate if you have chronic pain. <laughs> That's important. And I mean, it's not just for seniors and sometimes, and that, that stigma, I think we are as, as much as we are our own advocates and ambassadors I feel that we have a role to play to help pave the way 
for others and for community planners and to let people know that uh, because like someone mentioned this is a lot of this can be an invisible illness suffering needlessly is uh, that's not good for anyone so we need more more seating more access accessibility i'd love to see those handrails in those movie theaters i think that is that is an awesome one when i was thinking about this i was thinking like in places where we have to line up and queue if they could have like just little pop-out benches, like pop-out seats that yes. could be available. There's things that we can do. I'll wait in a lineup if I can sit. I think well, I forgot about one thing is transportation. I actually struggle and have difficulty over the last 10 years with flights. My son lives in Australia, so it's a 15-hour flight. And living with arthritis and getting up every couple hours, walking around, moving, doing your exercises and stuff. I really struggle sometimes. I don't have enough room to stretch out my legs and do my exercises. And I try to go into the galley, but I, you know, sometimes you get the dirty looks and stuff. Staff at the airport are really good. You know, they get you the transportation, they get you the golf cart or a wheelchair and stuff. But when you're on the flight, they're not as compa not compassionate, but they're not as accommodating. They're on more of a time frame, and they're trying to get things done. And you feel like you're imposing, but I really need to get up every hour or so. If not, there's no way I'm going to be doing anything for a few days at the other end of the flight. So I'm not sure what the flight airlines can do, but um, I do know that I'm only 5'5", five five and I have no leg room to even do a leg stretch. So I can't imagine somebody being taller than me and living with arthritis. And I always get an aisle seat so that I, it's easier Same for here. me to get up and down. I have compression stockings, I have my heat packs, I've got my exercises I'm doing and I drink lots of fluids. So I do everything I'm supposed to do, but I'm finding the air, the flights are really a struggle for me. And that's the biggest transportation uh, issue I really have these days is uh, flying. Mm -hmm. I, I was going to bring up airplanes as well because I find that that's actually one of the times when I feel my arthritis the most because you are so cooped up and I'm 5'10", so my knees are at mm -hmm. the, seat, the back of the seat of the person in front of me and I'm, you know, absolutely not going to pay $60 to upgrade my seat for <laughs> six extra inches of leg room and then anywhere you try to stand, you're an inconvenience. So if you're at the back, like where their little kitchen is, you're in the way of of somebody if you're by the bathroom you're in the way of somebody so you, I end up just kind of sitting in my chair being uncomfortable for you know the duration of the flight more or less um, and that is uh, not a very pleasant situation and my family's all over the country so I find myself generally on airplanes a lot not right now so much but that's my my worst transportation experience is having to get on a plane these days. I, uh... One time I booked a bulkhead and I was asked to move because there was somebody else that they felt needed it more than I did. Yeah. And so I paid the extra money to sit in the bulkhead because yeah. I knew that this was going to be a long flight and I was asked to change seats. Yeah. I am unapologetic when I'm flying because I need to survive that flight. And if I need to get up and walk around and move and stand and I just do it. And if they don't like it, they can say it to my face because it's, I won't survive it. I take a folding cane with me um, to navigate the airports. And so I can early board, um, you know, so I can get sorted without being in anybody's way. Mm -hmm. Take an aisle seat. I'll do, I'll, you know, I'll lift the armrest on the aisle and swing myself out when they're not doing service to do any stretching that way. But I do get up and walk around and move. I have to. We shouldn't be shamed into suffering. Yeah. 
That's so true, Shannon. And I just need to sometimes say no. Yeah. Yeah. You do. But um, no, I find air flight is challenging. Sounds like one of the recurring theme is the invisibility of the of, of the disability and people not feeling comfortable asserting their needs. Uh, and I think it's particularly, I think, and the younger people are, I think the harder it is, partly because uh, you get even more of a reaction because ex people expect you less to have arthritis. And I think often as we get older, we get a little bit better at asserting our needs. And I think we're often, it's often harder when we're, when we're younger. But it seems to me like uh, the same way the visually impaired have a little card that they tag on that says that they're visually impaired. Maybe we need to start a movement of a symbol that would be, I may be young, but I have arthritis. <laughs> Good idea. Or, so that you wouldn't have to explain it. You know, you wouldn't have to defend it. And, or even just, I have an invisible little disability. You don't need to say what it is. Oh, I have an invisible disease. Just leave me alone. <laughs> I, I have been that very as well. tempted to hang my parking placard around my neck. Yeah. <laughs> but to have something that is not not the disability parking thing. I know. I don't like the word disability. But, I'm but thinking, something, what can we say it better? Something that we, with a sense of pride. Yeah. I'm someone that's living yeah. with a chronic condition and I have needs and I'm looking after myself not only for me, but so I can be a better person when I show up in the world for the rest of you. Whether that's a ribbon, whether that's an awareness campaign, yeah. I know I thought about something similar I wanted to have for my dad who had dementia, is mm. I just wanted something that people would recognize without me or him having to explain anything, just something to build awareness, build that sense of community and that, and that respect. I think, we, I think we might be onto something here. Yeah. We, should, uh, we should think about that. Yeah, it's brainstorm. What could that symbol and that message be? And then make it, everybody knows what a pink ribbon is. Nobody needs to explain it. So, you know, what symbol could we have that would symbolize that people with arthritis have needs and, and so that uh, we're not judged, you are not judged and uh, you can feel confident and comfortable in, in, in doing what you know is right for you. It's so important because taking care of ourselves taking care and managing our energy, our fatigue, our pain levels. We all know that if we can be a little bit proactive and get on top of it, it's going to save a lot of serious recovery time afterwards. And I feel that that is really important for being able to live well with this disease and all its different forms that it comes in. Does anyone have any final thought to share on the topic of making our public spaces and communities better for those of us with these conditions. I think we have a, a project to start. <laughs> we have homework. We have homework. I, think I like that phrase, living well with arthritis. I think that's very positive and, and uh, you know, if we don't yet have a, a cure, why not live well in the meantime, as well as possible? I wanted to make a, a general comment too about workplace culture and, and being in workplaces where health and wellness are encouraged and you're encouraged to take a walk at lunch, you're encouraged to ask for a stand-up desk or whatever ergonomic needs that you have. I'm fortunate enough to work in a, a healthcare research setting, so everybody there is, is very focused on being physically active and, and eating well and living well and that it's helpful for me to be in that environment where everybody else is doing it because those are the, the types of things I'm trying to do for myself. 
and in a broader way, just creating uh, societies that encourage health, health and well-being and looking after our mental health and our physical health, because those are things that benefit all of us, not just people with arthritis. Well said.